0: domination once again for manitoba at the scotties tournament of hearts as carrie Anderson from manitoba under the team canada banner defeated manitoba's jennifer jones to win her fourth straight scotties title so that was good news over the weekend from the sports world not so good the winnipeg jets put up a couple of stinkers so christian omel host of the cjob sports show joined us to break it all down for I Love to Read month, we learned today about a who-done-it, about farts and inspired by a Steinbach woman who called 911 because the lineup at the new Burger King was too long. We had a fun time today talking about the behaviors that make us shake our heads. I'm Brett McGarry alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Monday, February 27th podcast for the start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb and some cause for celebration on a Monday morning, Loren, as Manitoba continues to rule the curling world.
1: Yeah, there was really no losing, I don't think, for curling fans last night. You might have been cheering for one rink or the other, but Manitoba was going to come out on top no matter what because we had two Manitoba teams in the finals, and Carrie Anderson went on to win her fourth straight Scotties tournament last night. She won 10-4 over Manitoba's Jennifer Jones, and uh, it's a big night for her. Jennifer Jones, had she won, would have been the only woman in curling history to have won seven national titles, but it was in Anderson's Rink's favour last night, and I watched right up until things turned, actually, last night when Jones gave up a loss of two, and... uh, Anderson went up 4-2, Greg, and I thought, uh-oh, that might be it. That's where it's going to go. And then I woke up this morning to that news, and I can imagine uh it feels pretty good to be one of a select few, only uh – uh Is it Colleen Jones? I think there's three other winks that have ever done this before to win four in a row, Greg.
2: Yeah, it's pretty special, of course. Uh, You know how I feel about curling as a sport overall. Manitoba's place in the history of curling overall is uh, second to none. And now you can really argue when it comes to the women's game that we are definitely queens of the hill And uh, to see four Manitoba teams in the Scotties to begin with. And then Caitlin Laws uh, just about made the playoffs. And it could have been three out of, uh, I want to say, six playoff teams from Manitoba. But when you get two Manitoba teams in the final, Jennifer Jones lost her first game and her last game of the week and won everything in between. So that's got to be frustrating. But she's... Curling with a brand new rink, a bunch of youngsters. And so there's going to have been a lot of learning that took place over the last 10, 11 days in Kamloops. And what can you say about Carrie Anderson and her rink and what they've managed to do together? They, they are now iconic in terms of uh, the history of, of curling period dot, not only in Manitoba, but in our country, Brett.
0: Yeah, and uh, now Air Anderson setting sights on winning at the Worlds uh, because they haven't done that yet, right? Don't think they
2: have? No, I think they got uh yeah, I think the the their first year they couldn't go because of the pandemic, and yeah. I think the best they've done is silver. I'm doing this off the top of my head. Okay. Yeah. So hopefully uh it'll be gold at the worlds for
0: team Carrie Anderson. Congratulations. I almost stayed up there, and I almost I was watching I think it was the beginning of the eighth and and I guess as it turns out, had I stayed up a bit longer, I would have seen it because it wrapped up on the 9th. But uh, I just said, no, <laughs> it's 10 o'clock, I got to go to bed and uh, passed out immediately uh, once I turned the television off and crawled into bed. But uh, boy, oh boy, that was... Uh, I love watching... I don't know anything with... I don't know what's going on <laughs> when I watch curling, but I enjoy it so much. I, I like listening to the you know the mm-hmm. fact that they're mic'd up or at the very least that you can hear them talking and you, to see how quiet it is in there. Everybody... You know, the people in the audience listening, you know, just paying such close in intent um, or paying and, and attention then, so intently is what I'm trying to say. On well, Monday the thing morning.
1: that's neat about the mics, too, is that th- that what's not said, like the concerted effort it might must take to not say what's on your mind when it doesn't go the way you want it to do. And I'm thinking I think it was the fourth end last night where Jones had a was gave up two to Interson and just kind of rolls down the ice with that look on her face and her face says it all, right? She's mad in that moment. And she said later, if there's a shot she'd take back, that'd be the one she'd like a do over on that one, but says nothing, right? Like, no, sorry guys. That's it. And meanwhile, you know, there's a whole host of other words going through someone's head because they have those mics on. It's pretty rare in sport. It is. You have that sort of access, right? Where you are, in theory, are to hear everything they're plotting and planning, and yet so much isn't said. And that says says it all, too, if I'm making sense, right? The silence is what says it all sometimes.
2: Absolutely. And there have been some colorful words caught on mic oh, sure. and were last, last week uh, and over the weekend. But uh, Brett, you know... I think curling might be the ultimate best sport of all of them for television. It is just ideal for television the amount of time in between the shots, the contemplation of the strategy and you hear what other sport do you hear the the players speaking amongst each other and discussing their strategy and about why they're going to do something versus doing something else. I, it's extraordinary. I absolutely love the game and it's uh, yeah, I don't know if you can beat it on TV.
0: It is Mackling McGarry and McNabb RCMP Manitoba tweeted this on Friday afternoon. A reminder, 911 is only for emergencies. Yesterday, RCMP received a 911 call from a woman in Steinbach who was angry about the long drive-through line at the new Burger King. We realize you aren't you when you're hangry, but this is not a valid reason to dial 911. And when I saw this, I shook my head and thought, how in this day and age do people still think this is a, a viable avenue to form, file a complaint about something so ridiculous? The behaviors that make you shake your head. Tell us a story at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win, in case you are hangry, for a chance to win a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia pizza. Let's go around the horn here. Let's start with Loren McNabb.
1: I feel like I knew you were going to start with me and I'm so ill prepared in the sense because I'm angry at all the things that I'm angry about and I realize I need to calm down and I'm, I'm not going to say zipper merge and it might be things that drive you nuts like loud chewing in public or that kind of thing. But I think at the end of the day, it's really coming down to phone behaviors these days, and not just on your phone, say, talking and having that speakerphone conversation. I'm increasingly driven nuts by the amount of times we could be out in public or hanging out or out with friends or at someone's house or someone comes over and someone reaches for their phone. And it's like, you want to say, am I boring you? Like, And I do it too. Like, I'll do it too. I'll be out. We were out at the Head Friday and I reached for my phone and one moment of silence, but the, when there's a whole group of us, and I think that there, there has to be a way, almost like a bowl for your keys, <laughs> like a key party used to be from... From Swinger Times or something? I think we need to check our phones at the door. (laughs) You know? Like where you just put your phone in a bowl. I'm not saying because you swap. (laughs) Swinger Times? (laughs) As soon as I started talking, I realized, well, that's what it sounded like. Some sort of like old school party. But I meant, I think we have to check our... Phones at the door. I think we're becoming really, really, really rude people and our kids are learning from that. And I I don't know. I think there has to be a like once you walk through this door, whether it's a house, a restaurant, a store, your phone has to go away.
2: Well, let me jump on that then, because on Thursday night I texted Jackie and I feels like that it's been forever since we had a family sit-down meal. And I said to her, I said, I don't feel like cooking. I've been running around all week. I said, can we please go out for dinner? No phones. And that was a stipulation I made with the kids, made with myself, made with Jackie. And we managed to do it. About ninety minutes, and then after supper was done, you know, the phones ultimately come out, and uh, you know, the kids have an excuse. I have a bunch of text messages I have to answer, or whatever. And it's like, you know what? Actually, I can't go much longer myself either. So I needed to jump into it. But on Saturday, this goes next level. Jackie and her mom and her sister were out at a restaurant, and the person in the booth next to them was watching a TV show on their iPhone, no earbuds, full volume, just zero, zero understanding that there were other people around. And I said, next time, just say, did you forget your earbuds?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Marissa Turton in for Jeff Braun for a couple more days. What about you, the behaviors you see that make you shake your head?
3: Well, the things that drive me nuts is when you're driving and then all of a sudden you see an emergency vehicle coming and you yeah. move out of the way and all of a sudden there's people in the turning lane like no I have to turn I won't be uh, I won't be
4: letting you go today <laughs> nope that's not happening
0: yeah so and then and then it's kind of a free for all once the emergency vehicle passes right
4: I mean, yeah,
3: like it's – it's. I don't know. People just forget what to do. You just move to the right. Sometimes, you know, not asking you to drive right through the intersection, but just sometimes you got to
1: jot up through the intersection a Wait, little it, bit. You're supposed to come to a stop and move over, and then you're right, Brett. The behavior after that, it's like they treat the ambulance drivers like, ooh, it's my rabbit. I'm going to follow this ambulance all the way to the bank. Like, it's going fast. And it's like – so then there's that fight to get back in after that. People become the worst in that moment.
2: Yeah, the people at the back of the line – figure it's their cue to jump into the front of the line it, it, that yeah that yeah, behavior the, is absolutely insane the insanity. amount
5: of close calls and accidents yeah, that you get after
4: yeah, that I of agree. people just not even looking like okay i got to get back to where Zero i'm going <laughs>
2: yeah, there's so many times that i feel like i'm the only person getting out of the emergency vehicles way cuz i'm like very
0: adamant about that like i've had enough incidents in my life where like i've something like that has been very important and like I feel like lots of the times, like it just happened to me driving home on Friday, and I feel like I was the only person getting out of the way. So, did you shake your fist? Yeah, angrily, and then uh, got all their license plate numbers, and I'm gonna be
2: emailing <laughs> them very angry letters. <laughs> of course, I'm not doing that, but
1: don't uh, you wish you yeah. had a, um, what do you call it, like that bullhorn or something in some of those moments? People, yeah. people, move over.
0: Yeah, you need to, need to be able to shoot some red turtle shells out of your car like a Super <laughs> Mario Kart.
4: Forte, what about you? For me, it's people who make a scene and are rude to retail workers. You know, when you see that, or there's videos that you see all the time of people get mad their their food order wasn't correct. And they start, you know, making a scene and like throwing stuff off the counters. And uh, it just reminds me of when I was working at Toys R Us. And this one woman, she was just, she was angry when she walked up to me. I was working at the till and she was so mad that on the till counter that there is, you know, like little toys or gum or whatever. And she was so mad about it. She's yelling at me and people are looking around and I'm going, ma'am, like I didn't put this here. This wasn't my decision. You want to talk to a manager. You can, but she was making a scene. Remember all the, my coworkers uh, coming up to me. Afterwards, going, oh, yeah, you got the one of the day, didn't you? <laughs> like, yeah. It just, it, it, like, when I see those videos on, uh, like, YouTube or the Internet, like, I just, I can't watch them anymore. I just, I get angry, and I don't understand, why do people make a scene in public like that?
0: Because some people are idiots, plain and simple. <laughs> There's just a collection of them out there, and they're everywhere, and they're in every corner of society, and they just feel like no one else matters but them. It's like a, it's a, it's a contagion. One thing that drives me nuts is, uh, and I deal with this every day in the concourse, and I realize that I walk faster than most people, not all, but most, and uh, I don't expect, I'm not just going to bowl everybody over, but and I notice this especially if I, if I happen to be going through the concourse uh, over the lunch break when there are people walking two, three, four uh, in a group, and they're, they're all walking side by side. So in the concourse, it's kind of tight quarters at times. So if you're walking side by side by side by side, then you take up the whole hallway. And most of the time, they're walking slow because they're talking to each other. So then I have to either wait for an opportunity where I can pass them where it's wide, or I'll just have to come up behind them and say, "Pardon me, I'm going to pass you on your left," so I don't freak them out. But I just there's the, the total lack of situational awareness to think that I'm more, I'm so important, my friends are so important, we can just take up this whole hallway and go
2: for a leisurely stroll. Get out of my way. It happens at the mall too, where there's a lot of room and people can take up more than their fair share of room. You need to get a nap with a bike bell on it. Ding,
1: ding. <laughs> yes. Ding. In Vancouver at Lake Stanley Park, they just yell, on your left. You yeah. Just yell that. Everywhere you go, just start yelling, on your left. I might have Coming
0: to just start doing that. Get out of my way. asking you at 204-780-6868 to tell us about the behaviors that make you shake your head for a chance to win some
2: Santa Lucia pizza. What does Jason say, Greg? Winnipeg is notorious for people not using signal lights. Drives me insane when you drive all day long in the city and more than 70% don't use it. Yeah, it's called an indicator for a reason. Tell me what you're up to. I always say, if you're going to cut me off, at least use your signal first. <laughs> That's fair.
0: That's fair. And then Dave says, uh, shopping cart etiquette. There isn't any. Got to block most of the aisle with the cart and plug the rest up. while you're looking for something. That's fair.
1: Yeah. And it it gets hard though. I was at Costco yesterday doing a run. It gets hard in some of those spaces and you've got these giant carts and you're doing these turns and you do need to stop and look and grab. And should you park it on the opposite side and walk over? Is there room in the middle to do it? I I was thinking greatly about this last night and there's there's really no right way. At some point you're going to be blocking someone. That's just it. 204-780-6868
0: for a chance to win. The behaviors that make you shake your head will pick a winner at 9.15. The education minister called it an astronomical investment. But at least one city school division says funding from the province this year will not come close to covering its costs.
1: So a letter was sent home to families by the chair of the Seven Oaks School Division, and in it it said, Our schools have dealt with budget challenges for the past five years. We've been forced to cut staff, freeze budget, trim programs. This year, we're faced with another challenge. Our revenue will rise only 2.1%. Our enrollment will rise 3%. Costs will rise even more. We are now forced to complement further reductions, like cutting teachers, eliminating programs like learn to swim, closing schools to after-school programs, and eliminating busing for grade 7 to 12 students. That's the letter. The decisions are being made tonight with a Seven Oaks School Division budget meeting, and we're joined now by its superintendent, Brian O'Leary. Good morning, Brian. Are you there, Brian?
6: Yeah, yes, I am. Hello?
1: Hello. So, first of all, just if you could walk us through the numbers, because the province was saying that minimum... School divisions would see a 2.5% increase. You're saying it will be lower for you? Can you tell us what's going on?
6: I, I, I mean, even their press release said that our increase was $3.3 million. That's on a $165 million budget. That's 2.1%. Um, our enrollment is going to go up uh, about 350 kids. We have new subdivisions going in. Uh, we continue to take about 10 uh, Ukrainian refugee students each week. Um, uh, So our our enrollment's going to go up. Uh, We're looking to add some teaching positions uh, 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 to accommodate that increased enrollment. Um, uh, We are also facing wage pressures, so uh, for us to budget anything for wage pressures, we would be looking at uh, reducing between 25 and 50 teaching staff or some other combination of programs. We teach all of our uh, grade four kids um, uh, how to swim. Uh, You cut that program, you save a couple of teachers. Um, uh, So any any cut that we contemplate is going to have an impact. Uh, We're either not busing kids or we're closing schools after hours or we're cancelling a program or reducing teaching staff, which means larger class sizes and less help for kids who need it. And we're still recovering from, two and a half years of significant disruption to kids learning through COVID.
2: Brian, help me understand where this number comes from, from the province. I mean, uh, they, they call it and, and, and tout this funding as, as uh, you know, astronomical investment. Are there consultations along the way? Like, do you get the sense that the government genuinely understands what you're up against in, in providing education these days?
6: Well, the, the part of our confusion here, and we've reached out to the government uh, and asked them to look at it, um, is, is that the the funding was pretty reasonable for a number of school divisions. permanent Trails, which is uh, experiencing significant growth, received a funding increase of 9.5%. River East also ex- experiencing some growth got 7.5%. We hit two point one, which is the lowest of any Winnipeg school division. Uh we think they've made an error uh in the allocation of funding. We have pointed that out to them. Um but uh you know in, in two weeks uh our chair has failed to get a meeting with the minister and we haven't had a response from the department. So we are now um we do a public budget meeting every year um, and kind of share the thinking of our board of trustees with the community We'll do that tonight, uh, but we'll need to finalize the budget by mid-March. Uh, and and uh, hopefully there's uh, some response from the province uh, uh, other than justifying what they've done uh, before that time.
1: What's been the justification, Brian, up to this point? I understand you're looking for clarification, but if other divisions are seeing 6 7% increases and you're getting lower than that minimum promised, what's been the justification?
6: um honestly we don't we don't think there is a justification we think they've made a significant error in their allocation um, uh and uh, without getting really technical here uh um we're experiencing significant growth in our area new housing new businesses uh so the tax base is growing um we get funding cuz historically we haven't had a, a, a strong tax base uh, uh, to equalize revenues, just the same as provinces get from the federal government, uh, they seem to have incorporated uh, the growth in tax revenue, even though they've frozen uh, what we can get from that growth and reduced our equalization payments significantly by doing that. So, uh, you know that that the error that we think is there, um, uh, we haven't had a response that uh, they can't particularly justify what they've done at all. Brian O'Leary is the
0: superintendent of the Seven Oaks School Division, joining us live in 680 CJOB. Brian, thank you for this. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. What are the behaviors that you see out there in the wilderness? Of life that make you shake your head, like this woman in Steinbach who called nine one one because the lineup at the new Burger King was too long. Um, what does Al have to say, Mister
2: Greg? Al has to say this, Mister McGarry. He says the contagion of entitlement. Yuck! I think that's a, a phrase that Cam used in our conversation uh, about forty minutes ago.
0: Yeah, the entitlement situation is a problem these days. And then Jackie says, I get so mad sitting at an intersection red light. And the minute the light turns green, then the car in front of you <laughs> puts on their left <laughs> signal like you couldn't put your signal on earlier because then you're right. If you're behind that person, then you're trapped. You just got to wait. I think of that, that on Why Alice, for example,
1: realize they had to go at that moment. Oh, no, wait, I'm turning here. No.
0: Yeah. And hey, look, it happens. There are times where where I'm guilty of that and I feel guilty. I feel bad when it happens because you realize, (laughs) oh, shoot, you know, this would actually be better if I went this way. Or, oh, my, I forgot. I got to go drop this. I got to go to this store. I forgot about that. But 90 percent of the time, I know you put your signal on.
1: You know, I was thinking the other day about one of my pet peeves and the things that drive me nuts are. Uh, grocery stores where you have to pay for the carts because I never have change on me. But then yesterday as I was leaving Costco and walking my cart back to the cart pen and seeing it was the end of the day, right? The store had closed and it was just a free for all of carts blowing like tumbleweed in the wind because (laughs) nobody had put their carts back. And I thought, well, this is why they eventually start making you pay for those carts, right? Because nobody is bringing them back and so it just it's so frustrating because on one hand i curse every time i end up at a store where i'm like ah i don't have a loony and i gotta run inside and get the little token or whatever and then on the other hand you get it they're doing it for a reason because we're all jerks
2: how can i add to that very well said loren sometimes we get the consequences we deserve the consequences of the lack of our actions and then another
0: thing that drives me nuts about the grocery carts as well is when you see that people have taken the time to bring the cart back to the pen. Yes, but then it, there's no; it's just chaos. They just Chucked it in. They just throw it in, so it looks like uh, you know, it looks like the beginning of the of the scene that you would find in like an <laughs> apocalyptic movie, right, where the people have piled up grocery carts to block the zombie horde from getting in. <laughs> like, is it really that hard to just walk it in and put you it into them the chuck next it cart? In? You know, like hurl
1: it across the way, like just, just, like it's a game. (laughs) Like they think you think you're supposed to just, from the longest possible distance, take a run at this cart and see if it makes it there.
2: Yeah, people love that when the carts end up in the in your uh, bumper or in the side of your car when you play that (laughs) game. Now, we want to talk about
0: how half of us will have to go through a cancer journey in our lifetime, and as we all know, screening and early diagnosis is very important.
1: Consider that number, half of us, right? And so when it comes to treatments, we know there are more options for patients. And one of them might be to take part in a clinical trial. So those are drugs that are in the trial phase of evaluation that in most cases could maybe show some real progress for patients. CGOB's Richard Cloutier has been looking into where we're at with clinical trials in this province and joins us with the story of one cancer survivor who wants Manitoba to do more. Richard, tell us about her.
7: Yeah, Carol Vivier is a very familiar voice in our province. She retired five years ago as president and CEO of Manitoba Film and Music and in retirement has been able to do a lot of traveling to see her grandchildren She helped build the music and especially the film and video industry in this province. She's a leader. She has this take-no-prisoners type of attitude. And when I sat down with her, she was wearing a sweatshirt with very bold white letters that said, Die, cancer, die. Well, the challenge of her life right now is lung cancer. And interestingly enough, she's not a smoker. She suspects the cancer diagnosis is from radon. And her cancer journey early on was something well something out of a horror movie
5: when i was first diagnosed i went through the 12 weeks of chemotherapy and immunotherapy so i would go in to cancer care and go up to the third floor and have the iv and i did that and at the end of that round of treatment i had a ct scan and my oncologist called we were right in the middle of covid too through all this i mean i got diagnosed right in the middle of covid made it even a little more challenging. But anyways, he called and said, you know, the good news was the tumor in my lung had shrunk, but it's also in, a, in the lymph nodes and it, the lymph, one lymph node had grown significantly, which was not great news. So, you know, I said to him, oh, that damn lymph node. And he said, yes, the damn lymph node. <laughs> so he said, you know, there's no point in continuing this, drug, that this treatment. It's obviously not helping with the lymph node. Um, but he said, fortunately, Right at that time, this clinical trial had been approved here.
7: And that clinical trial is uh, what we're starting to see in many diseases, but especially cancer, where they look for biomarkers. And that's where they can custom make the drugs for your type of cancer to, cut it, to match your DNA. So the problem that Vivier has is that she was at the right place at the right time. So she was lucky. Part of her coming forward on this is to say that more and more of us in our cancer journey have to be asking a whole lot more questions and that cancer journey starts with the question about clinical trials and finding whether or not you can get on one and get the testing done to determine whether or not you can have
5: one of these custom-made drugs for you. Lung cancer is driven by different biomarkers what is driving your cancer. And so I have the MET 14 exon skipping biomarker. Um, somebody else may have ALK, somebody else has ROS1 EGFR. So knowing what your biomarker is really important. So when I was first tested for my biomarker here, it came in back inconclusive to what it was. So on the advice of uh, our, my oncologist, we actually, um, authorized them sending my pathology to the U.S. foundation. We had to pay for it out of pocket. Uh, It was almost over $3,000, but it's your life. And um, to have my pathology tested, and that came back conclusive to the Met 14 exon skipping. So that's another piece of this. It's it's being able to have the full panel of biomarker testing done is critical, because if we didn't know what my biomarker was, I couldn't go on this clinical trial.
7: And this drug, is specific to
5: the biomarker of your cancer exactly for me i really felt like i had guardian angels
7: well that guardian angel loren was her oncologist and the fact that vivier didn't take no for an answer that that first inconclusive result uh basically the answer was you can ask more questions and go outside the province if you want an even better diagnosis
1: You know, in listening to this, the line that stood out for me, she says, it's my life, right? It's your life. So you'll do what you can to save your life and be here as long as possible. So I'm curious, where does this leave others who might be listening and thinking, hey, like, I'd like to know more. How many people are even on the clinical trial in manitoba
7: well not enough according to vivier by the way she's doing great uh, right now under this clinical trial it's in remission her cancer has been reduced she's traveling life is as good as it can be there are about 240 patients on a clinical trial through that clinical trials unit during each of 2021 and 2022 uh, a total of 1800 patients have been followed as part of a clinical trial an international or international trial. But right now, there are 32 open adult studies, uh, 46 pediatric studies. But Vivier, basically, her message is we need to be doing more, especially on lung cancer, as that becomes a lot more predominant. And you have to take control of your cancer and ask those questions about whether or not you would be eligible for a biomarker testing in this province. The test in itself, that initial test, is covered but even if it comes back inconclusive, you have to keep on pushing in the system. We'll explore more of this, and we'll talk to a, an oncologist and the head of the uh, Cancer Cares uh, Clinical Trials Unit this afternoon.
2: This is all very fascinating, the idea of almost custom drugs mm-hmm. for your custom for your situation. Uh, so that part of it is fascinating, the science behind it, Richard. But what about... The number of Manitobans involved. I know you're touching on this. Why aren't more Manitobans involved? And please don't tell me it has to do with money.
7: Well, that's the question we have for this afternoon, is why aren't we seeing more and more people involved in this, given the cancer journey that most of us are going to go through? You know, there's four of us here. Two of us are going to go through that cancer journey in our lifetime. And you think about how this all touches. Vivier is a leader, and she wants to see more leadership from the government of Manitoba, uh, she's going after cancer care. She's going after shared health. The world will sit down and, and 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 try to be held accountable on this, in the sense that you know what she's championing. She's so far winning her journey. She'd like other Manitobans to win that journey too. Richard Klute is going to have more on this on the news this afternoon
0: from three until six with Skylar Peters filling in for Julie Buckingham. Richard Klute, thank you very much, sir. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We're talking sports in a moment. Great weekend for Manitoba curling. After global news at nine o'clock, we are going to learn something about yoga for golfers. So this is actually uh, something I'm really interested in, considering how I injured myself two weeks ago playing virtual golf, and my hips and back are still sore, so I clearly need to... Start thinking about ways that I can better take care of my body. And Mm -hmm. why not try yoga? I've always wanted to try yoga. So if it's tailored for golf, maybe that's something for me. But before we do anything else, a reminder for a chance to win a Santa Lucia pizza $20 gift card, the behaviors you see
2: that make you shake your head. What does Vicky say? You can uh, sense Vicky's uh, frustration, if not anger here, Brett, the behavior that has me shaking my head. In all caps, people who do not pick up after their dogs. I have two dogs that I walk every day, and I'm constantly amazed at the amount of dog poop I see in the snow. Sometimes it is right in the middle of the sidewalk. I mean, how do you not notice your dog doing that? This weekend, I was out walking on the river. And that was the worst. I don't know if people think they don't need to pick it up because the snow will melt in the spring and it will just go into the river or what. So gross. And uh, Vicky goes on to say, I have a friend who manages a pet store and she told me the sale of dog poop bags actually goes down in the winter. Vicky concludes her comments with, what the heck?
1: Because you could just cover it up? Like, what's the... Like, to me, that doesn't make sense because in the winter, it's easier to pick up. Yeah. Agreed. Like, yeah. you can it could scoop all the snow around it. You don't even have to feel it. Whereas in summer, it's like, uh, <laughs> like, it's a hot mess. Not to get too into this, but the winter is the easiest time in the world to pick it up.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's gross. So, Vicky, yeah. thank you for your feedback. Keep your text coming for a chance to win that Santa Lucia pizza gift card. We will pick a winner at 9.15. In the meantime, yesterday... Carrie Anderson claimed her fourth consecutive Scotty's Tournament of Hearts championship, solidifying Manitoba's hold on its reputation as the home of
2: curling in Canada. It was a Manitoba-based team's 16th win in the National Women's Curling Championship. Anderson's legend status grew with the win over fellow Manitoba rank led by Jennifer Jones, who was looking for her seventh national title christian omel joins us now it was quite the t- 10 days for the manitoba teams and can christian where does carrie anderson fit in the history books
3: well she's got to be really close to the top now because this is such an accomplishment that stands nearly alone right colleen jones won four in a row and carrie anderson won four in a row and that's the list and it's incredible because this team just keeps on rolling at the scotties they've Hardly ever been, you know, pushed to the brink, except in some finals this year. Jennifer Jones had some chances early on last night, but then a, a fiver in the eighth or the ninth, and that's it. You don't have to play the tenth. And I remember at the 2019 Manitoba Scotties in Gimli, it was the first year this team was together, and they lost the final to Tracy Flory, despite scoring five in the second, and they lost thirteen seven. And I was there, and it seemed like the pressure was too much for that team. And then they went on to lose the wild card game to Casey Scheidiger at the Scotties. And I'm thinking, I don't know if this all skip experiment is going to work. I'd say it's working pretty good. Cause mm-hmm. Since then, they've won four <laughs> straight Scotties Tournament of Hearts, and and now their their spot atop the the scrolling history books is pretty clear. And you got Brianne Harris sweeping like crazy with a baby coming. You got Shannon Burchard who's played in five Scotties now and won all of them and right. been a first team all-star and four of them and then Val Sweeting's just been so calm and collected and great at calling the line and even look at the semi-final yesterday where Carrie Anderson didn't really have her best game her draw weight wasn't really doing it for her and she still found a way to win because the rest of her team was so good and she got a couple shots at the end to make it happen but Wow, it, it, we we can watch all week. We can look at all the different teams and all they're doing. And wow, Jones is seven and one. McCarville's got only one loss. It's it's always about Kerry Anderson, and it will be until that team loses.
1: Really? I have to. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I have to say, when I was watching the game last night and games throughout the week, every time I watched Shannon Burchard sweep pregnant, I thought, go girl. Like, this is amazing what you're doing. That's not people who look at curling or look at sweeping like that's not hard. I dare you to do it as hard as they do just once and tell me you're not tired at the end of it. And so it's just tremendous, um, feat of athleticism, but also just this idea. Christian I think that you know I think it's long gone the days where people look at curling like it's just this relaxed sport like I just texted Carrie to see if she could join us this morning she's on BC time two hours behind she's on her plane so that you know she's up and at it and, and going and it's uh it's around the clock work for many of these women and men's team
3: well, and just to clarify, it was Brand Harris who was who was pregnant, and she's not oh, the only person sorry, curling pregnant yeah. at this tournament. There was many. Uh, look at uh, Team Joe or uh, Law, Jocelyn Peterman pregnant as well. There's some other teams as well. Casey Scheidiger had a couple people pregnant. It's really remarkable, that's, and that's one of the you know key differences between the men's and, and women's game. Obviously, is that men don't have to deal with that, and the women's game has that. Players are moms. They're out there killing it. I know. I remember Rachel Holman a couple years ago skipped in a final when she was very pregnant. And that's another part of this, too. You mentioned how far it's come. Yeah. These are incredible athletes that are playing this sport. And not only that, a lot of them have to work tomorrow, maybe today. They still have jobs because as much time as they put into this, and I watch it like it's a professional sport, it's kind of not, right? There's only a few events where you can really uh, make a bunch of money, and yesterday's was one of it, but... Even the best curlers have jobs outside of curling, which kind of rem- reminds us, too, that as much as we see this as a professional sport and kind of have them on a pedestal to some degree, they're very normal people, very down-to-earth people. Kerry Anderson just won four straight Scotties and is you know super available and is a very down-to-earth person. So uh, that's part of the allure for curling for me, I think.
0: Well, and not only that, I mean, we were actually hoping to speak to Carrie Anderson, but Loren, she's she's unavailable because she's already on her way home?
1: That's what I'm saying. Here you are. You, ha- you put this party perception on. Like, if I won a championship of anything... <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm up late. I don't care what I win. I'm going to stay up late for it. And here she is on her plane ride home. So I think that's that's tremendous. And Greg, you wanted to jump in with a thought because I know you were uh, on pins and needles all weekend, enjoying your curling. Well,
2: I was, and I chose to watch curling yesterday afternoon as opposed to watching the Jets game. Now that doesn't mean I didn't tune in, you know, and, and flip some channels. But the pride, the passion that uh, these women play with, that these athletes play with uh, in the in the name of their province and the name of of doing what they do and winning a championship it, it's palatable christian and so that was that was a huge huge chasm for me in terms of what we saw from uh, the women all week you know wearing the buffalo or the the maple leaf on their back and the winnipeg jets who have turned into dinosaur egg sized uh, disappointing uh performances this weekend friday and then the latest yesterday afternoon where, where what do we make of the jets
3: well, that's the beauty of a PVR, Greg. You just watch one and then watch the other. And... Can't do
2: it. Can't do it. If, it's li- if, uh, if something's live, I cannot watch something after it's happened. Just this, okay. the way i made.
3: We're, we're wired differently because that's how I consume a lot of things is on PVR. Because yesterday I could watch the Jets game in record time because, God, there wasn't a lot to watch because of how bad they looked again. This is giving me 2019 flashbacks the last month or two. And that was a season where they started off really well, coming off that Western Conference final trip. And then they cratered down the stretch. Part of that was injury-based. This is not that. They've got everyone. In fact, it's kind of been since everyone got healthy, ironically, that they haven't really been able to string it together. And the lines have been jumbled all over the place. They cannot generate offense. And it's been that way for a little while. Yesterday, if you look at expected goals, they didn't generate two five-on-five. And they didn't score any. And... This is a, a stretch where yeah a lot of the bad has been against the Eastern Conference for whatever reason, but the the loss against Colorado was brutal. Like they they lost in the first 15 minutes of that game and had no response. And what do they do yesterday to come out? They get one shot in the first period <laughs> against the Islanders and they don't start Connor Hellebuck. And I know Nino Niederreiter's on his way. That's not going to solve everything for sure. I think more moves are coming, though. Obviously, more trades keep getting made. There's there's your players out there now. But it is confounding what the Winnipeg Jets are going through now. I didn't think there was any way they'd miss the playoffs. But now, you look at the standings, and I know there's only nine teams in the West that can make the playoffs out of all of them. So there's only one. They just got to beat Calgary. But my goodness, it's, it's become a bit of a dire time right now for this Jets team. They got the Kings tomorrow night. You know that Chevy's going to do maybe a couple other things, but it's been dispiriting because they just look out of sorts. The effort seems off in the offensive zone. They can't really put together anything. The movement isn't there. They seem stagnant, and it's, it's very concerning right now.
0: And before we let you go, Christian, tonight Blue Bomber Winter Special. What do you have in store?
3: Yes, Derek Taylor and I, from seven to nine, will get you caught up on everything that's gone on in the off season. <laughs> Pretty much everyone's back, of course, from last year's team that almost won the Grey Cup, and then Kenny Lawler is brought in as well. So we're going to hear from all the difference makers, and uh, yeah, I think Derek is going to be in studio with me as we take you through and get you set for uh, another run at the Grey Cup for the Blue and Gold.
0: Chris Nomel, the host of the six eighty CJOB Sports Show,
3: six thirty to nine weeknights.
0: Mr. Omel, thank you very much for joining us, sir.
3: You're welcome. And Sully's been by my side this whole time, being a good, quiet boy.
0: Ah, Sully! Make sure you follow Christian on social media on Instagram at Omel. His adventures with Sully never cease to entertain.
2: Hi, Sully. Hi. <laughs> Is that like a like a half Clay Young? Half Clay Young, half Christian Omel.
0: Hi. Oh. Hi, Sully. <laughs> like his podcast intro. Hi. Right now, we're still several weeks away from being able to get outside and hit the links here in Manitoba, but it's never too early to start ramping up for summer.
2: Yeah, so I've watched all episodes of The Full Swing on Netflix, and for those that are unfamiliar, it's a behind-the-scene looks at a handful of uh, PGA Tour players. It is absolutely fascinating and I have to admit this, Brett, I'm getting anxious to play some golf just from watching this. I I really want to get out and uh, swing the clubs and I know you've been watching full swing and hitting some golf balls indoors off and on all winter, Brett.
0: Indeed, I watched full swing uh, as quickly as I could and in the couch potatoes I confessed I cannot objective about reviewing this documentary because I love golf so of course I was excited about the documentary and yeah I've been playing a lot of virtual golf uh, this winter although uh, not for the last couple of weeks because I kind of hurt myself while doing it so the run our next segment is uh right top of mind for me
1: I, when watching the first three episodes, just kept thinking, how come I don't have a private jet? And why does everybody have a private jet? That was my <laughs> takeaway from it. But it's, a, it's an interesting series and it gets you behind the scenes on how hard they work. And of course, whether you've swung a golf club or not, uh, we always look at our overall health goals and getting back into shape. And so we want to speak with Reed Davies of Moto Yoga. Good morning, Reed.
8: Good morning, everybody.
1: You know, I, lots of people, when they think about getting healthier and getting happier, they'll, they'll talk about their mind, their body, their soul, but then we'll do the same old things. You might go back to the gym and hit a treadmill or lift some weights. How do we connect all these three things, the mind, body, and soul through yoga?
8: Oh, good question. Uh, yeah, I always, uh, I always say to folks, uh, cause everybody always associates yoga with being flexible, but, uh, yoga is, you're right. Connecting mind, body, soul, and breath together. And, uh, What happens in one of our classes is we go through a series of 40 some odd postures, which are very accessible for, you know, all ages and levels of fitness. And in the end, you felt like you worked out and you haven't checked your phone and you uh, just have a much better day. So, I mean, I'm a I'm a huge proponent of uh, taking any sort of yoga wherever you can get it, uh, even if it's just five minutes in your basement
0: and you've got something coming up. It's yoga, but specifically with golf in mind. So tell us about that.
8: Well, I, uh, as you know, I'm an avid golfer, and uh, I play my best golf when I've been practicing yoga you know, on a regular basis. I'm just more limber and uh, able to focus a bit better. And so it's funny, Brett, I thought of you when we announced the class, and I think I sent you a DM saying, hey, this would be perfect for you because that morning you were talking about hurting your back at one of the, you know, indoor simulators somewhere.
0: Yeah, that's right. And, and you, as you can attest, uh, you've played golf with me, so you can see that I have issues with focus, with anger. <laughs> uh, so this oh, really, sounds on. like it uh, could no be way. very healthy for me all around.
8: <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, it, it's, uh, I'm excited. I've saved you a spot. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'll uh, I'll send you the details a little bit later
2: read we are of a similar vintage i'm just curious overall how has yoga changed your life
8: oh well uh <laughs> uh i've all, i always say uh my family uh, attests attest that they always like me better when i'm practicing yoga uh and so uh that's probably the biggest thing but i mean it's just given me like a a a presence and a a better view of the world and a more well-rounded view of the world than I ever had in my corporate life. Um, You know, obviously at the start of the pandemic, I think I was 10 days into studio ownership when the world shut down. So it changed my life and made it a bit more stressful, but uh, we've come out on the other side and things are looking very positive. So I'm super, super excited about the
2: future. Let's jump off on that and and share as little or as much as you want, just about that change, because I've known you for a long time. And when I first met you, you were a a corporate guy, you traveled a ton, you were away from your family a ton, and and you made this extraordinary change in in lifestyle just prior to the pandemic. Throw the pandemic out just if we can for a few moments and, and just that overall change, how has how has that decision to radically change your lifestyle worked out so far?
8: Well, I say it's worked out great, uh, and you know, you know, I've talked to you many times over the past few years, uh, both personally, personally, and professionally. But I say the best thing about the pandemic was I became a yoga teacher, uh, which was a life changing event, uh, and you know, through the. Through the pandemic, had to you know work in the studio, uh, uh, in the studio's business uh, a lot more than I thought, and so that's given me opportunity to expand that knowledge to other businesses and working with some great folks in Winnipeg and just you know just trying to spread the, uh, the enthusiasm and the love of yoga and uh, and just general helping of people as much as I can.
1: You know, I've heard so much great things about or many great things about yoga over the years. I've tried it myself and really liked it. And yet I think I still hear from people who have never done it before it's about those misconceptions like I'm not interested in it, it looks like it's not for me, how hard is it? It doesn't look like a workout. How do you, what do you what are your responses to those who still say, "Nah, not for me" because they have these kind of like preconceived notions about it, Reed?
8: Yeah, that's that's good. And and Loren, we haven't met, but Greg and, and uh, Brett will attest, like, I'm not the traditional yogi. I'm, you know, I'm six foot one, 240 yeah. pounds, 56 years old. Uh, and so I always say, like, listen, if I can go to a yoga class and get a lot out of it, anybody can. Uh, mm-hmm. And And I always say to folks, if you can, you know, stay on a mat for an hour, whether you lie down, stand, sit, do whatever and breathe, then you've had a great yoga class. And so... I just think you got to get get people have to get to one uh, and uh, you know and get through it and then and then they uh, they generally like it and want to come back and so uh, that's that's our goal is to get people developing a habitual yoga practice.
0: So if people want to learn more about what you do, where do they go to find more information?
8: Yeah, we uh, uh, motoyogawinipeg dot com on uh, on the internet and then uh, on Instagram motoyoga dot. YWG maybe or .WPG I'm terrible I don't I don't know uh, the social media handle I apologize uh, or you know I'm often posting about it on my own social media which is DJ Dad Winnipeg uh, shameless self promotion there um, and yeah happy to uh, happy to answer any questions anybody has
0: and again the the golf yoga seminar that's coming up is it on the twelfth of March yeah
8: yeah so actually the twelfth filled up right away uh, and so we have another one on March the twenty sixth and I've saved some spots. Or, uh, you know, VIPs like yourself. We'll try and get Mackling out there. Loren. if you want to uh, join, I can't fly you there in a private jet, like in full swing, but mm. maybe I can, you know, send send one of the kids around to pick you yeah. all up, you know?
1: <laughs> maybe a golf cart. You can pick me up in a yeah, golf, golf cart. cart. Yeah, let's do that. That'd be <laughs> great.
0: Yeah. Reed Davies of Moto Yoga joining us live on 680 CJOB. Reed, thanks for this, and I look forward to the class. All right, awesome. Thanks, everybody. Bye.
2: That yeah, Reed's not only a yogi, he is also a DJ.
8: DJ Dad.
2: DJ Dad. You'll see him around town at different events. So, uh, yeah, Reed and I have known each other for about 16, 15 years, and he's never been more relaxed. Like, this change has been just so good for him. So,
1: every time I I go to a yoga class, I emerge like I came out of a massage, like in a different way. You know, with that kind of look on your face where you're just like, yeah, there it is. All kind of jello y. I
0: need to try this. I will do it. I'll be there.
1: You really need to do it. You, sorry, that was pointed, but you no, really do. need Nine. to do <laughs> <You 15>. specifically.
0: <laughs> Behaviors that make you shake your head for a chance to win a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia pizza. Like this anonymous listener who says, as one of our runners up, before we announce the winner... This person says, my biggest pet peeve is people not waving after I let them into my lane. I keep a list of the license plates so I know to never let them in again.
2: <laughs> I want to see a copy of this list.
1: It's like, what's that scene from Billy Madison where he has a list of people who bullied him? And then That's exactly what I off, thought of. Right? And then it's like, as if you're going through that, someone grab the list.
2: I always <laughs> think of Chris Jericho, of course, and his list. But uh, right. Billy Madison is a good one, too.
0: Pat also with one that uh, rung a bell for me, uh, because Pat says drivers irk me when they tailgate and they think that'll get you to go faster. Not me. If they do that, I will slow down and tick them off. I confess that I used to be a a tailgater. I remember as a young you were, yeah, as a young guy. I remember I was road raging so bad I was like right like centimeters from the car in front of me. I was hunched over my steering wheel. All I could see was red. I was just, drive, drive your car. And then I kind of had this moment after, like, what are you doing, yeah, man? I could have killed myself. I could have killed them. Never again. That was the last time. That was like 20 years ago. So Yeah, yeah. Road rage is not good. But uh, I think we got to jump to our winner here, Loren. And this, I think, actually has to do with a uh, pet peeve of yours.
1: Well, I had said this morning, just there's all sorts of things around the phones, people overusing the phones, or but the speaker conversations on phones, right? And why we all need to be part of someone's speakerphone conversation. Well, anonymous texter said... I work in a high-end furniture store, and what drives me absolutely crazy is when a customer walks into our store on a FaceTime call and continues to shop the store and view furniture while having a FaceTime conversation with her friend. Full-volume conversation back and forth, saying things like, what do you think, and asking questions. And you don't know if they're talking to you or their friend and finally, We say to them, I'll be happy to help you when you're off your phone. <laughs> and then they look at you like you're interrupting something very important. Drives me totally insane. Yeah, I get that. The thing about cu- like customer service when you're shopping is that when I don't want you to talk to me, that's when the clerk comes up, you know, the retail worker. And when I do need help, I can't find them. Like, it's a darn if you do and don't in that industry. You know? It's
2: like in the service industry, we always planned to come and ask you how your food was tasting when your mouth was full. <laughs>
0: Did you actually do that? No, it just okay. always works
2: out that way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I thought, always wondered was there some strategy involved there? I'm hiding behind that potted plant, waiting to come <laughs> and ambush you with that question whilst your mouth is full. So, congratulations to this listener, whom we kept anonymous given the
0: specificity of the text message. Congratulations, enjoy yourself some Santa Lucia pizza. <laughs> Right now, we want to talk about books. It's I Love to Read Month, and we've visited with some fantastic local authors for I Love to Read Month. And today, for our final installment, we've got a book that's got all the right combination for kids. Learning, language, and farts.
1: <laughs> so it's called The Boogaday Book, and its goal is to teach the fundamentals of Ojibwe through a Who It mystery about farts. I am all in for this one this morning, so we want to say good morning to its authors, Donis Kennedy. Good morning, Donis. Good morning. And Anna Peronto. Good morning, Anna. Good morning. And I apologize. I just got Jeff giving me your pronouncers in my ear as we're bringing you on air. So I, I'm sure I've got some of that wrong. So let's just kind of recap, Donna. The title. Say it for me again. And what does it mean?
9: The book book. It means like um, he or she farts or <laughs> they singular fart.
1: Okay, so, Donis, I have to ask, how does one sit in a room and say, you know, we should help with language and help the kids learn the language, so let's combine farts with this? How did this all come together? <laughs>
9: um, well, I think just I know that my son, his favorite book was Everybody Poops or Everyone Poops, and yep. he would read that over and over again. He knew it by heart, and, but he didn't do, react, respond the same with his Ojibwe books. So this one actually is a a book-a-day book about farting. We wrote to teach our sons uh, what we were learning at an advanced level in Ojibwe language learning.
2: So, Donna, tell us about this book. Like, who are the characters? How does it work? And and just a a little bit of the idea of of growing and keeping the Ojibwe uh, language alive.
9: Yeah, well, it starts out with Neen. Uh, Neen is our pronoun for me. So Neen is a character, and Neen smells a fart. So they say, um, there is farting going on. <laughs> and they they happen upon someone, and they say, is it you? And I think it's a skunk, and the skunk says, no, not me. And then the skunk turns around and happens upon someone else and asks, Is it you all? Because we have a uh, plural you in Ojibwe. And they say, No, it's not us. And so they say, uh, Plural me. Um, and they go through, and as you go through that conversation, trying to figure out who it was that farted, you learn how to say, how to talk about somebody in the third person in Ojibwe, how to talk about somebody who in first person, second person, plurals. Um, So that's the book.
0: (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, I know it's a book for kids, but I I love the idea of a whodunit mystery about farts. I want to read this book. Um, But why why is it important to get fun books out that are in Ojibwe?
9: I guess because... um, For us, anyways, when I'm learning about the language and it's funny, it de-stresses me. It's one of the reasons that I want to learn Ojibwe, because our speakers who speak fluently, they laugh a lot more in Ojibwe when they're speaking than they do when they're speaking in English. So that's part of my reason to want to learn the language and part of teaching the language and passing it on is that laughter.
1: Anna, I want to ask, you know you, when you talk about the idea of learning a book in your own language and the idea that you maybe didn't have books like this growing up, what what's the difference that you've seen out there when you're reading this book to kids, Anna, and you see their reactions? Do you notice a difference when it's coming to them in Ojibwe and, and them learning along the way with that?
10: Yeah, I think with my son especially, um, he was, and Donis' son, Kenny, and my son, Carter, they both go to... Um, uh Ojibwe bilingual school and um they're both I think they both reacted to the book uh positively and uh, I think Kenny even helped uh to uh, illustrate the book a little bit <laughs> um, but I think it's it it offers them um, uh, more excitement I guess about the language and uh, looking forward to reading like donnas was talking about uh Kenny being excited to read the book. Um, yeah, so well, it's I better.
1: And it, I'm just going to say, yeah. Anna, I think it's better than just doing. You know, when I grew up and we're learning the language, you just you get you get a book about conjugating verbs, mm-hmm. and yeah. just try as you might, it's not. It's quite frankly, it's not. It's not as interesting as it would be as when when I was read a book with the teacher uh, in French or whatever the language might be, right? And so I'm curious for you, Anna. Did you have anything like this growing up that was fun and in your own language? Oh, uh,
10: there was. I mean, there was. There are books, but not, not like this. You know, we didn't have any books like this, for sure. Um, and, yeah, I guess to touch on the conjugation part, that was the whole reason um, me and Donna uh, thought of this book, or thought of writing this book, is that how do we teach the conjugations of the verbs uh, to kids in a fun way, in, in a way that they want to learn the language. Um, yeah, and, and, but we need to have books like this growing up. Um, and to be able to offer this to our own kids um, is something that we're really happy to do.
2: Having some fun goes such a long way in reading with and to kids and mm-hmm. for them to be engaged. It's uh, tremendous. And I don't know if this is the, uh, the, the end game here, but I've been told on good authority that, that the who smelt it dealt it. Just uh, <laughs> that, that seems to be the rule of thumb that, that we went by in my house. But is, uh, I, want, I don't want to give away the ending, but th- okay. there's, a, there's a game attached here, right?
9: Yes, and I think for us, like, there's, we turned it also into a game because a lot of the games that are out there in our language are based on English-based games, just like a lot of books are based on translations of English-based books. And so the game that we have that goes along with it, the Boogaday game, it teaches you how to make, like, over a 100 different conjugations of the word fart. So you can make sentences um, to say, like, I didn't fart, you're going to fart. Are you going to fart? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not going to fart. Or <laughs> you are going to fart, not us. Like, you can make all kinds of conversation after you play this game. And what's neat is that if you learn a handful of words after that, each word you can make 80 sentences with because you learned the framework. So you don't just learn how to talk about farting. You (laughs) learn the basis of the verb to eat or to drink or to play. And you can make 80 sentences about all of those. And it kind of forces you to practice too. Like, I don't know about other people's daily routines, but every morning we have a chance to practice these verbs. (laughs) And every time we're walking in the in the supermarket and we smell something off, we can talk in a language and it's like a secret. And that's what makes it exciting for Kenny. Like and I know he understands when I'm speaking in Ojibwe and I'm talking about who is farting and his eyes go to them. Um so I know that he gets it. And I know that it's not necessarily like a topic that's taught in schools or in daycares like I know my son's school and daycare had no potty talk rules but this is actually a huge part of our culture and even though we didn't have books with this in it we had oral history so a lot of our legends and stories have farting they have pooping they have like it's a central theme for us culturally oh, interesting. and cool. for to have kids be able to talk about that is important for their physical safety because it teaches them body awareness and it teaches them to talk about subjects that openly with adults about their body and their functions and that actually protects them
1: at a very young age i have to interrupt to say that uh, donna yeah. Anna, my dad taught my kids if you don't poop you die and then they were walking <laughs> around giving that solid piece of advice <laughs> Everybody at two years old. So I, I hear what you're saying. Go ahead, Brad. I interrupted you there, but I was, it was, I was just feeling what they were saying there.
0: No, I was just going to say, in case you're just tuning in and wondering why are they talking about farts, for I Love to Read month, we're talking about the Boogaday book, which is a book designed to teach the fundamentals of the Ojibwe language to young learners through a humorous whodunit mystery about farts. And Anna, I'm just curious to know, how much fun did you have putting this book together? Like, was there ever a point where you kind of wondered, like, oh, should we even be doing this? Because I think farts are funny, but it's one of those things that we're not really supposed to talk about. You know, oh, that's gross. Why are you talking about that?
10: Yeah, I mean, there was definitely points. And even I think now, uh, even now, people wonder, like, why are we writing a book about farts? But like Donna said um it, it, it's part of our culture. I wouldn't say farting is <laughs> essential part of our culture, but the idea of that um, these topics aren't taboo in a sense. Um, and um, it was fun to, to to create the book with Donis, um and just the idea of it. Um, we just went with it, and you know what? Let's just do it. You know, that's what, that's kind of like we how we went about it and um, let's just see where it goes. And um, we're just happy to, to be able to share that with everybody.
0: Donis Kennedy and Anna Parento are the co-authors of the Booga Day book. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate the time.
10: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah.
0: And you can read, learn more about this book and see the book on our website, cjob.com. We've got an I Love to Read page that has goes over all the books we've talked about this year and last year as well.